Baruch atah Adonai, Eloheinu melech haolam, Asher bakar banu mikol hamim, Venatan lanu et torato. Baruch atah Adonai, Noten ha-Torah. Amen. Baruch abashem Adonai. Well, welcome back to a second round of the Kitetse GT. Just can't get enough. Um... I think, I know, I feel so just inundated with uh, commentaries and insights, but I just wanted to sweep back in and just share with you um, some uh, hopefully inspiring uh, information on us literally going out to war and uh, really being victorious. I realized that during this season, Uh, that we should be taking full advantage of the king being in the field. So just a little snippet, because I don't want to steal this young man's thunder. Uh, The incredible Professor Talmud, Mikael Nicholson, as many of you may know, if you've seen the What Does the Lapid Mean video, what, what is the meaning of Lapid? Um, He has a beautiful chidush, on uh, the the king is in the field and the the parable or the story that Mashiach brings down about the prodigal son because you realize that the father is out in the field waiting for his son to return looking at the horizon every single day and Yeshayahu brings down that Hashem, he stands all day with arms stretched wide waiting for those who would return. Let's go ahead and take a look at that. All right, so we're in Yeshayahu 65. So let's read this in context. So this is actually in a section titled Judgments and Promises. So Yeshayahu 65, starting in verse 1. I revealed myself to those who did not ask for me. I was found by those who did not seek me. To a nation that did not call my name, I said, here am I. So when we, first of all, when we look at that, Hashem is saying, he nani, he nani. He literally has it twice. He has a Marti, Hineni, Hineni. Here am I, here am I. And this is to a nation that did not call on the name of Hashem. We are at a beautiful rate of this actually happening in the world right now. Lots of people who don't know anything about Torah, Judaism, they are learning it and they're seeking it. And this is beautiful because the king is in the field and he's waiting for those who would return. Namely, he's waiting for his prodigal son, like the son who grew up in his house and who fled and went after the things of this world. And so what's really going on is not only is the prodigal Bezrat Hashem going to return, but those who don't even like 
know Hashem, who've never been a part of his house, they're coming home. Because as we learn from Pasha Tazria, those who were born of the womb, which is pretty much every man and every woman, uh, we were all born uh, through the male seed and the woman seed uh, conception process. And then we grow as a, a fetus, an embryo. And then, you know, we're born after a certain period of time. But during that time where the baby is in the mother's womb, we are all taught the Torah. And again, if you look at the fact that we're all taught Torah as a baby in the womb, at any point in our life that we come into Torah to Hashem, we are in a sense that prodigal son returning home to the father. And we definitely fit the bill for those who did not call on Hashem's name saying, Hineni, Hineni, like Hashem is saying to those people. He said that to me and Bezrat Hashem, he said that to you because I did not grow up calling Hashem, Hashem. You know, uh, and if I did call him anything besides Lord or God, uh, I called him other names that are not even appropriate because they are, they are not his name. And there are no J's in Hebrew. There are no W's. And you can make a argument for Old English and things like that. But here Hashem is all day. He's revealing himself. To those who did not even ask. And what's so amazing is this same thing is in the Agarit to the Romans, the letter to the Romans in chapter 11 about the wild olive branch that Hashem is going to graft in because he's allowed a partial blindness to fall upon the Yehudim until the fullness of the Goyim have come in. This is why gathering in the divine sparks is so vital. This is the Kitetse that we are a part of currently. We are going to war to gather in divine sparks. Let me just share this real quick. That personally, uh, I have been engaged in conversations today and just experiencing things uh, about just the... the uh, the seeming breaches that are everywhere, like in the church and in synagogues and things like that. And it's just really making me so much more grateful for Sar Shalom Synagogue and all the Lapid uh, houses that are rising up, all Lapid Nation and especially Sar Shalom Tulsa because, you know, they're standing in the gap in a place where it's just like, are there any Jews in Oklahoma? Obviously, there are. But, uh, you know, these places exist. And these conversations and experiences that I've been having, it's just kind of like, why is there so much missing on all sides? You know, one of the conversations was there's a guy who understands that he's a Viking. And it's just kind of like I can't tell him he's not. But... I mean, all indicators point to that, and there's a lot of Norwegian stuff in his family and things like that, or um, wherever that region is, but he was basically saying, you know, he got, you know, told he needs to go to church, and, you know, 
he was like, okay, fine, I'll go, you know, just because I love you people, I'm going to go to church. And he's sitting in church and uh, he goes to the little the little bakery little area in the church, you know, the typical blueberry scone section that is always talked about. And, you know, he was just like, oh, great, there's bacon here. And, you know, another guy comes up, he's like, yeah, I was just I'm so glad there's bacon here because I was wondering if there was going to be. To which there's a whole lot wrong with that because, you know, bacon is mentioned in the Bible, like don't eat pork, like I don't know how many times. But uh, anyway, that's neither here nor there. But what the point of me bringing this up is, is he says, I hope that there is bacon in Valhalla. And I'm like, wow, like I don't even I really don't even want to know about all the Viking stuff. But he mentioned that and the guy was looking at him like, whoa. I don't think you need to be here. Like that stuff is not, uh, uh, you know, to which, you know, that's what he experienced. He comes to me and he says, why is it that Christians shame you for like calling on other gods and having a different belief and things like that? Why do they shame you? Not why do they, uh, not, you know, lovingly, you know, minister to you, reach out to you or something like that. But no shame. Like you're horrible. You shouldn't be here. We don't want you. And I'm like, wow. So he said, isn't there something like love thy neighbor? Like, and I'm like, yes, there is a love your neighbor verse. (laughs) And what's so funny about that is that's connected to not having hatred in your heart. (laughs) You know, that's actually uh, chapter 19 of Sefer Vayikra. And uh, it's talking about not hating your neighbor. And then you must make sure that you love your neighbor as you love yourself. And there's a lot of hatred that actually happens, you know, and I'm trying to think to myself, if someone came into the shul that kind of had that thought, it's just kind of like, well, we don't do that here. But at the same time, we're not going to tell this person they're horrible. They're going to Gehenna and, you know, get out of here. What's wrong with you? First of all, you know, that's like a a whole, like, don't pass go because we don't know why that person has that thought. We don't know what their upbringing is. We don't know their background. We don't know why they're thinking that. And furthermore, we can't change anybody. Only Hashem can change people. And the key to changing is this revelation that Hashem is talking about. So the word that's used for revealing is uh, drash. And what's so amazing about drash is it means to seek out. And drash, drash, or drosh drash is the two uh, words that are directly in the middle of the Torah. And so these two words, seeking and seeking, uh, this was in the context of Moshe and Aharon on the Rosh Hashanah offering uh, when Mo, uh, Aharon's two sons, Nadav and Avihu, died on that Rosh Hashanah on that Parsha Shemini, uh, the eighth day when the tabernacle was ready to go and they went in with strange fire. And it's like, well, I know you're in mourning, but this sacrifice has got to be eaten and all this kind of stuff. And so there's this whole big thing going on. But. That's the center point of the Torah, which was telling us the main thing about Torah is drosh. We have to seek out and search. And the cool thing about 
when we get that understanding of, okay, we are in covenant with Hashem, we've made shuva, we're continuing to make shuva, that the main element of our faith is seeking, searching, that we don't just go, all right, thank you, Hashem. We read the, we read every single Torah portion. We read the whole Tanakh. We've even read the whole Basora. We've even read all of Acts. We've read all the letters of the Shliakim, like Kepha and Shaul and Yaakov and Yehuda, Yochanan. We read all that. So great. It's like, no, no, no. The key is to continue to seek and search because when you do this, you're you're like creating that wellspring of living waters. You're not creating it. You're just causing it to flow forth. Because the thing is, once you place your Amuna in Yeshua, namely the word of God, the, the voice of God, when you start hearkening to it, it bursts open a fresh channel within you. So it's upon you if you're going to let that flow or if you're going to block it up, which is, you know, what Yitzhak was dealing with during his lifetime, that the Philistines were like breaking or uh, clogging up those wells that were dug by the father. And the son's like, no, 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 no. We're opening these back up. And the Philistines, they're like, no, 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 we're closing them. And it's just like, no, 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 we're opening them. I don't think you understand what's going to happen here. We're just going to do this. And that's the droshing and that is the warfare. So when you look at this, what Hashem is saying, he's saying, I am, you know, because he's saying, I was not sought by these people, you know, and no one sought me, but here I am. So he says, so with this word drosh here, as we're seeking out and, and searching that, you know, we're always wanting to go deeper. We're always connecting dots. We're always, you know, uh, taking from our leadership, you know, all the insight, all the guidance, all the input. And then we're also sharpening iron with those who are our peers, you know, as our daily studies, you know, all of the teachings that are now coming out from Sar Shalom, from the Lapid channel and things like that. Those are all drosh techniques that we must continue to keep ourselves in. Yes, we're going to study on our own, but we also need to make sure that we bring all of that back into the community because it's got to get worked out. And we can't ever think that anything that we find on our own is like the end all be all because, again, wellspring of living waters here. The, the coolest thing about a mikvah is that there's never stagnant water. I mean, there's way more cooler things than that. But to me, one of the things that I love when I think about the mikvah and it just helps me with why do we say the same prayers? Why do we read the same Torah portions? Because it's all water that's all being recycled and it's all fresh, freshly flowing. And the thing about a mikvah is it's living water, which means it's not just tap water. It's literally water that comes down from the sky. You know, it's a open, it's open water fed, you know, kind of thing. And so when you think about the Yardine River, it's always flowing with new water or renewed water, I should say, because it's the same water that's been here forever. It's just here it is again. Oh, it evaporated. Oh, the clouds filled up. Oh, it rained and the ground soaked it up. And then, you know, it's flowing back out into the river again. So it's like this big loop. And when we're davening and when we're reading and studying the word of God, that's the process. And as we are engaged in drashing, engaged in warfare, 
that's how we find Hashem and that's how we continue to freshen and increase and grow and strengthen. This is the meaning of Yehuda's writing, Jude, the letter of Jude. He says, build yourself up in your most holy faith. That's how you do it. You do it through drash. You do it through the constant mikvah, the constant teshuva, the constant tefillah, the constant zadaka. You're always opening. You're always giving. One of the coolest things about zadaka is it is the epitome of the outflow of the inflow. What am I saying by that? Just as water comes down into a mikvah and flows out and then it comes back in and flows out. When we get our paychecks, when we get any sort of compensation for work that we've done, the zadaka is the outflow process of the inflow that comes out. We have no problem paying our bills. I mean, obviously, if we are a little tight on our budget or whatever, then we have a problem. But we know that we have to pay our bills and we're just like, you know, they're going to cut my lights off if I don't pay my bill. So I'm paying this bill. But when it comes to Zadaka, though, if we ever have that, uh, I don't know, man, maybe I'll give five or maybe I'll give like almost 10, but not really. Or, you know, if we ever have that kind of angst, then what we're essentially doing is we're being like the Philistines who fill up the wells that Abraham dug in Yitzhak, which is the Akedah. Again, take it all the way up, to, uh, all the way to the highest level, uh, turn it up, uh, escalate it quickly. Yeshua has to come and redig that well, reopen that channel, speak softly to us, soften our heart and be like, if you love me, keep my commandments. You know, uh, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives. Follow me, you know, hear my voice. You know, the enemy comes to kill, steal and destroy, but I come to give you life and life abundantly. When we understand that when we give our zadaka, we're just making a mikvah because Hashem is going to keep keep the flow going to make sure that we can give enough zadaka. And furthermore, when we get compensation to pay all the bills that we need to pay, we pay the bill and guess what? The bill is going to come back again and we're going to have to pay it again. So it's the cycle everywhere. It's just kind of like, how is our perspective and how is our heart on these things? So anyway, um, my point is going all the way back to my friend here, the Viking guy, is that he doesn't feel sought after if he is being shamed for having his faith. To him, this is super real. Like he's had visions. He's already seen the, the little Viking God guy. And, you know, he's, you know, definitely all into that kind of stuff. So he knows what is what, you know, when it comes to that. So when it comes to going to a place that's supposedly about the one God the, of the universe, he goes there and he feels like, you know, less than the size of Ant-Man going quantum. Like he's just kind of like, I just, you know, I don't, if, if his people are going to act like this and I don't want any part of that God, like you know, this, this is not cool. And to which my point is, uh, or not my point, but one of my comments was like, well, that actually comes from a place of insecurity because I know as Yehudim, you know, we know what idolatry is and that we shouldn't do it. However, people who are involved in idolatry, as we've just learned from our Mishle chapter 10, that we don't reprove those 
who are already set on the path that they want to be on. But and at the same time, we're not going to be like mad at them and be like, you know, I don't ever want to talk to you. You're a horrible pagan. Like, no, we're supposed to reveal ourselves, like Hashem is doing right here. He's saying all day long, I've done this. I revealed myself to those who did not ask for me. Nobody was joshing for Hashem. And he's like, I'm here. So continuing on, he says all day long, I've held out my hands to an obstinate people who walk the wrong path, follow their own imaginations. And continue on to verse three, a people who continually provoke me to my very face, offering Corbinote and gardens and burning incense on altars of brick. Continuing who sit among the graves and spend their night keeping secret vigil, who eat the flesh of pigs and whose pots hold broth of impure meat. Okay, so we got unkosher meat, we got pigs, and then we got uh, just spooky candle service. And then we got sitting in a graveyard. Let's keep going. Who say, keep away, don't come near me, for I am too sacred for you. Such people are smoking my nostrils in a fire that keeps burning all day. So even though this is the case. Notice that it doesn't say that they're cooking lamb or they're cooking cow or they're cooking turkey or chicken. It's like, no, pig, all the impure meat, and they've purified themselves. They got the candles. They're in the graveyard. Hello, a candlelit dinner in the graveyard. Is that what we're up for? Anyway, Hashem has his arms open to individuals as such. We're not going to go out and correct people and be like, hey, you shouldn't be a pagan, you silly pagan. But at the same time, we're not going to go, hey, you're on the right track. Good job. We're going to keep the revelation flowing. We're going to keep our arms open. We're going to keep revealing just like Hashem does and like he has done. So that's one of the things I wanted to bring up with the prodigal son picture and the month of Elul where the king is in the field because the prodigal son, what in the world has he been out there doing? First of all, he took all his inheritance money and left. And the father's like, what? You know, you're you're done. You're just, you're just going to go out and spend all your, your after I die money and okay, you're going to not do kosher things. Oh, okay. We wish you wouldn't do that. And the crazy thing about this is, is this is exactly what sin is, is that we take our inheritance money from Hashem, which is his breath, his spirit, his power and ability for us to think and use all of our limbs. And we take all of that and use it for something that's unholy, impure, improper, just uh, blasphemous even, and a smack to his face. That's how bad sin is. Yet Hashem is all like, you know what, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go out into the field because this is the way to get back to the house. They got to come through the field. Got to come back to the temple because remember the temple, another name for the temple is the field. This is where Yitzhak prayed Minka. And this is why the Minka prayer is so powerful because Minka was always correlated to Yitzhak who was correlated to the field in which he prayed. 
And this is the powerful time of, hey, is anybody going to come in? So one of the things I want to connect to this is this is a custom that I just learned this year is to recite the Psalms 27 that we're supposed to recite. Now, I would say suppose, but it is customary to recite Tehillim 27 every day during the month of Elul, as well as all of our other uh, observances that we're doing. Namely, we're reading through as Lapid, we're reading through Mishle, and then we'll read the first nine Psalms uh, to take us into Yom Kippur. And then, you know, we have the sounding of the shofar for those of us who have that privilege. And then we have the Slikot prayers, depending on if you're observing it like an Ashkenazi or a Sephardi. But when Yeshua walked the earth, there was neither of those. So what does that really mean? It means, yes, do your Slikot prayers whenever you can, however you can. Maybe you don't have access to Slikot, but Slikot means penitential prayers. So any kind of penance that you're making, Baruch Hashem Yashikoach. And again, if you don't have a shofar, just because you're not getting a shofar blown, you're also not sinning. But what is the point? What is the point and intention of the shofar? So draw us back into God. So if you're waking up every day with Hashem restoring his soul to you and you're returning to God, you're seeking to go closer to him. You are hearing the shofar, whether you're physically hearing it or not. Some kind of way you're hearing it because you're returning to God and you're Modeani, you're studying Parsha, you're listening to this podcast. Oh my goodness. Like, okay. So, you know, when you start really seeing these things, what's really the point of what's going on around here? You know, the king's in the field. Okay, uh, we're not caught up in the formalities of everything that we're getting to do or customary to do. We're getting down to the root of are we returning home? Are we entering into the field where our father is? Are we allowing ourselves to be in our uh, un, you know, glorified state, so to speak, where, man, I'm so messed up or, man, I did not succeed where I wanted to. Hashem, I haven't been as diligent as I need to be. I haven't been as close to you as I can be. I haven't been fulfilling my potential. And it's like, now's the time to fix it. So the prodigal son is coming home. He realizes, well, at least I can live like a servant in my father's house and I don't have to, you know, eat here in the pig pen or have candlelight dinners in the graveyard and conjure up spirits and stuff. At least I can be a servant in my father's house because my the servants in my father's house, they are well taken care of because a servant to a Jew is like a master because you have to make sure that they are fed, they're clothed, that they're healthy, they're not injured. Like they're they're like, I mean, they got to do some work, but I mean, they're taken care of. And then upon them being released from their servitude, you have to reward them and compensate them. You have to send them away not empty-handed. So, you know, this is us when we say Hashem sent us not away empty handed. You know, it's the same thing. This is why, you know, there's a concept of rewards in the Olam Haba in the time to come after the resurrection. So, yeah. So I wanted to bring that up that, you know, let us be, you know, lowering ourselves and being like, you know what? I am not altogether. 
you know, I, I might think I might be all that, but, you know, Hashem is my father. He's my king. He's willing to lower himself down to come into the field, meet with commoners and get his robes dirty. And if he sees his prodigal son coming home, he's going to grab his robes and he's going to run towards him in the field. He's going to sweat. He's going to get more dirty. He might trip or fall on something, but he's going to get to his son. This is what we should take advantage of. And Parsha Kitete is letting us know, hey, you're out. You're going out to war, but you're going to be above your enemies. Your enemies, your oivim enemies. Notice we say oive, like when something we're like, oh, no, you know, it's just kind of like your enemies are part of that oi. And so we go against that oi and we take it out, you know, and, and we get to our father. So I want to encourage us in that. And I want to bring down Sota 42a. I want to bring down some Mishnah this time instead of just Gamara. Not that I look down upon the Gamara because that to me is like some of the most legit drops, the, the most legit Hidushim that I've ever like ever gotten to hear like when rabbi so-and-so says the name rabbi so-and-so and like they go back and forth and there's this um argument for the sake of heaven that ensues i'm just like wow y'all are dropping some bombs oh my gosh and i just kind of lose it and then i know i gain consciousness again and i try to restart over but anyway but the mishnah though is gonna really grab a hold of that verse from the torah and expound upon it with the direct handed down information from Moshe and all the way down the lineage to the men of great assembly in their Talmudim. So like getting really down to the meat and potatoes. And then, you know, the Gemara is like the dessert, you know, so, and it's, it's parf and it's good. Okay. But anyway, so the Mishnah in 42a of Sota says with regard to the priest who was anointed for war, this is why there are two Mashiachs, by the way. I'm going to roll in a bunch of things with this. So here's some interpolated going on. So I got what the rabbis know about Messiah on deck. And I'm going to read on uh, Pahina uh, 1. That's funny. Okay, so check this out. So talking about who is the Messiah, like who is, what's the Jewish version? It says the 21st century religious Jewish view of Messiah as king who will reestablish Shalom on earth now, while it reflects an important part of the traditional view. Notice Messiah bringing world peace is only part of the traditional view. So if anybody tells you again, I said this on the Kitetse GT um, the podcast that yeah tell them about mashiach ben yosef because he's not supposed to bring world peace he's supposed to give the opportunity for the world to come to peace then he's going to bring the warfare to vanquish all of evil and cast out idolatry and all that stuff that will ultimately result in world peace because there will be no more wickedness and evil in the world and then yeah that's mashiach ben david the war king the one who's going to come with the name of hashem on him like a banner and he's going to have, you know, the robes dipped in blood and all that kind of stuff. Like, you don't want none of that. So anyway, uh, it says, while there's a traditional view, in part, it says it overlooks an equally important part. The role of Messiah as servant. Okay, so Messiah being a servant is connected to the priest anointed for war. So if you look at the priest, 
you got the the Kohen Gadol, like the Holy High Priest, and then you got the Kohen anointed for war. And he also wore the same garments, by the way, when he went out to the battlefield. So he led out in battle with the Ark, and there was a shofar with him and everything like that. And then, so you got a priest that's outside and you got a priest that's inside. Just like you had an Ark that was outside the camp, and then you had an Ark that was inside the camp. You got the two priests, the two Arks, the two Mashiachs. And this is important because with the 49th Parashah, Kitetse, being about going out to war, 49 is Memtet. In order for us to get to the 50, we have to fight our way into that 50 a day. When we're counting the Omer and trying to get to Shavuot, well, we're getting to Shavuot, uh, that you have to count your Omer. You have to fight through all those rectifications, all of those tikkuns that need to happen for your chesed, for your gevura, for your teferet, for your netzak, for your hod, your yesod, your malkut. Okay, all seven aspects of your emotional being. You got to rectify that stuff and bring it up and connect it so that when Shavuot happens, you can receive the Torah anew. You can receive the Ruach HaKodesh anew. Tongues of fire can consume you and let all of your being be transformed into that 50, that 50th gate of understanding that only comes through Mashiach Yeshua, i.e. the Memtet, which again, Memtet being 49. So Memtet himself is going to carry us into that 50, that new beginning if you will, because that 50, that's like the Jubilee, the Yovel, and during the Yovel, the Jubilee year, everything is just unleashed. You know, slaves who were indentured and they got their ear pierced, they even get to go home because they're like, ah, it's been six years and it's a Shemitah year. I don't want to go. And it's like, well, let's go to the doorpost. You're about to get ear pierced. You know, you get your ear pierced and it's like, all right, so you're going to be here until the Jubilee year. So at the Jubilee, you, you ain't got nothing else to pierce, so you're out. Hashem says you got to go. And by the way, this is what Mashiach Yeshua said he came to proclaim, the year of the Lord's favor, like the Jubilee year. He's proclaimed that. And so we're awaiting the fulfillment of that. Because did you know when the Jubilee year starts, it doesn't start until the Yom Kippur of that year? And so there's like this intermittent period from Rosh Hashanah to Yom Kippur where there's like gladness, rejoicing, feasting. Slaves technically are free, but they're not left yet, you know, and it's just like this is what's happening now that those of us who are accepting the message of Shalom preached by Mashiach ben Yosef, that we're here, we're we're in uh, this state of we're getting to have foretastes of the final redemption which hasn't completely happened yet, but it's about to speedily and soon in our days. Please, Hashem, please. Arain, you know, Baruch Abba Hashem Adonai, we accept your Mashiach, the one you chose. We don't want any other Mashiach. We don't want another hero. Anyway, so, and then the shofar blast happens on, Rosh, on uh, Yom Kippur, and then it's freedom. So literally, you come out of Yom Kippur and you start building the sukkah. And the crazy thing about Yom Kippur, there's a custom to go right out from the Yom Kippur service and put a nail, put your first nail in your sukkah. Like you're, you're like, all right, it's official. It's time to build this thing. So we got from Yom Kippur to Erev, Pes or Erev Sukkot to get this sukkah built. And it's just like, that's about four days. 
you know, which is so awesome. But anyway, it's just an incredible picture when you think about the overall scheme of where we're at. We're we're awaiting that final shofar blast of freedom to get out of exile. So this is why we say, may Hashem sound the great shofar for our freedom. Okay, so we got the 49, we got the Memtet. This is Parsha 49, the Memtet Parsha, the priest anointed for war. Parsha Shof team is where it talked about the priest who goes out to the people and, and gives them this message about, you know, who's scared or who needs to go home, who hadn't done this and all that kind of stuff. Who's scared is not ever said, Sleekha, but like all these prescriptions for anyone who's afraid to go out to war are made so that you don't have to go, oh, I'm scared, I don't want to go. It's like, what, did you build a house? Yes. Did you get to inaugurate it? No. Get out of here. You know, did you just get betrothed to a wife? Yes. Have you gotten married yet? No. Well, get out of here. And then when you get married, don't come back for another year. So it might be two years before we see you again. Anyway, so that guy who is saying that, that's called the Cohen anointed for war. This is the Pincus, because Pincus is the Cohen anointed for war. So this is why he went out to war in Moshe's place against the Midianites back in uh, Sefer Barmidbar. Anyway, so this is what the rest of Soto says. So, uh, uh, Sleeka, wait, I'm getting all crazy ahead of myself. So Mashiach ben Yosef is the, literally called the Messiah, the war Messiah, the Messiah anointed for war. So he's supposed to go out and lead the battle. So he, in a sense, takes on this mantle here that we're reading about, about speaking to the nation before we go out to war. So check this out. It says, continuing on in Sota 42a, the Mishnah, it says, he would speak to them in sacred tongue, which is the Hebrew. So what is the sacred tongue? What is speaking in tongues? It is Hebrew. Furthermore, tongues is the word leshonot, which means languages. So literally it's all of the 70 languages and the Hebrew. So there you go. If you want to speak in tongues, speak one of those languages. All right. So uh, it says... He was speaking the sacred tongue, which is the Hebrew, as it is stated, and it shall be when you draw near to the battle, the Kohen should approach and speak to the people. Devarim 20, verse 2. This Kohen is identified in the verse as the Kohen anointed for war, the Kohen who is inaugurated specifically to serve this function. This is why Mashiach ben Yosef had to make the agreement before he was sent here to die for all mankind. The Messiah text brings out this whole drop about, you know, you're going to suffer. It's like, if you're not willing to, then I'll take it all away. And he's like, no, I'm willing because I want to die for all the stillborn, all those who never got a chance to live and all that, all the sinners of every generation, past, present, future. I want to give them all the opportunity to be able to come home. So he, he was like inaugurated for this purpose. So he was born to die, literally, just like all the hymns talked about, just like the prophecies talked about that Messiah was going to die. This is the whole Barnafli, that Messiah is called the fallen one. And this is why the whole rebuild the Sukkah of David, you know, not only is it a rebuilding the temple drop, but it's also the resurrecting of the Messiah ben Yosef. Sukkah 52a brings down that Messiah ben Yosef is uh, resurrected by messiah ben david because of the power that hashem granted to him so literally yeshua says i lay down my own life no man takes it 
but I lay it down willingly. And then the power that raised Mashiach's body from the dead is the same power exerted within us, which is the power that Hashem has exerted in the body of Mashiach through the Ruach HaKodesh, which is Hashem. It's not separate. So literally, Messiah resurrecting himself was the Holy Spirit resurrected in Messiah, which was Hashem resurrected in Messiah. So connect all those dots. Yes, Hashem resurrected the Messiah. Messiah resurrected himself because Messiah is the spirit of Hashem and all of that. This is why, you know, go back to Genesis 1 where it says the spirit of Hashem, the Ruach HaElohim, hovered over the water. And that was called the spirit of Messiah. It was also called the throne of glory, uh, brought down by the Ramban with a noon. And so the spirit of glory, the spirit of Messiah and the spirit of Elohim Hashem is all one and the same. So because Hashem is a chad, he's not separate. OK, just like we have one body, many parts of the body. Same with Hashem. He has many manifestations. So he has, quote unquote, no image because his image is an image of many manifestations. Uh, so this is why the rock is glorified this is why the clouds have the glory element to them the fire that the angel appeared in and the burning bush so on i mean i could just can't go on forever but i'm not going to i gotta get this done okay keep going hang in there with me please all right so hit your boosters it says uh the cohen anointed for war the cohen who is inaugurated specifically to serve in this function and speak to the people he addresses them in the sacred tongue, which is Hebrew. So what's the heavenly language? What's the secret language? It's Hebrew. Good job. All right. The Torah dictates the Kohen's address, and he shall say to them, Shema Yisrael. So first of all, this is why commentaries say, if you're going to be a warrior, that the Shema is the main thing you want to make sure that you're constant in morning and evening. You want to, before you retire and when you arise, it is the Shema. So, you know, that is why that's kind of the main thing. It says, so the Shema Yisrael, you draw near today to battle against your enemies. Let not your heart faint, fear not, nor be alarmed. Do not be terrified of them. Devarim 20 verse 3. The Kohen expounds against your enemies and not against your brothers. This is not a war of the tribe of Yehuda against Shimeon and not Shimeon against Benjamin. Such that if you fall into their hands, your brothers will have mercy on you, as is stated, and with regard to war between Yehuda and Yisrael, and the men that have been mentioned by name rose up and took the captives, and with the spoil clothed all that were naked among them, and arrayed them, and showed them, and gave them to eat, and to drink, and anointed them, and carried all the feeble of them upon donkeys, and brought them to Jericho, the city of palm trees, which is, by the way, Tamar. Uh, but anyway, let's continue. It says, unto their brethren, then they returned to Samaria. Second Chronicles 28, 15. So this is what it's like when you go to war against your brothers. They're, they're going to probably beat you down, but man, are they going to take care of you? They're going to hook you up. You're going to be the, like the most well-treated, uh, beat down person ever. Cause you ain't going to be naked. You ain't going to be starving and you're going to get tra uh, transportation means like, <laughs> it's just like, okay. So you beat me down, but you put me up in a hotel and you've taken care of all my bills. Thank you. 
I'm really in pain right now. And she's like, I know you're in pain. You shouldn't have, you shouldn't have fought me though. Anyway, but that's what it's like when you go to war against your brothers. So that's the first thing that Cohen says. First, he tells you, all right, everybody Shema, everybody good? All right, because if you've done the Shema, you're good. You're going to fight and you're going to be victorious just through the Shema alone. But for those of you who've turned it up, you know, check this out too. So, and then it's like, all right, so your brothers, this is not who we're talking about here. So he goes, rather, you're marching to war against your enemies. You're marching to war against people like Amalek. You're marching to war against doubts. You're marching to war against confusion and, and all sorts of uh, just unclarity. Like people just stirring up the waves and giving half truth and people who are anti-Semitic, people who just hate you, you know, that's who you're going against. And if you fall into their hands, they will not have mercy on you. There's a whole nother drop that this thing goes into. But man, that just stirred me up to be like, you know, as Parshaki Tate say, let's identify our enemies real quick. Because in the month of Elul, heading into Rosh Hashanah, what, what's, the, what's the deal? Uh, well, there's a draw to get out of community because maybe I feel like I want to grow higher than the community. Or maybe I feel like the community is lagging or everybody's tired. Or like, does anybody want to study? Does anybody want to pray? Is anybody giving zadaka? Why are we saying the same stuff? And... How many much more insights are we going to share? How many more Shabbats are we going to do? I'm tired. I got a lot of work to get done. Okay, so these are our enemies. So they've been identified. They're ready to take you out any means necessary. Are you ready to fight? Do you even know that you get to fight? Do you know that you need to fight? Because that also needs to happen by any means necessary. And what's the means necessary? One of them is saying the Shema. Another means is trusting your brothers, okay? There's probably a reason why, you know, the levels of people are where they are. Don't get upset if no one wants to study with you or wants to pray with you or they're so focused on, you know, things that they got going on. You know, it's a, a mutual thing. It's a back and forth path that you get to speak into them from a place of compassion try to understand where they are build bridges to one another then at the same time if people are wanting to share if people are wanting to ask questions take advantage of that because sometimes those people are not going to want to ask questions and you're going to be like man i really miss people asking me questions you know and it's just like well the people i wanted to ask me questions they weren't asking questions the people i didn't want to ask questions. They're asking me questions. I don't even like these people, you know? And so it's just kind of like one of those things that you start having all these mind challenges go on. And so you gotta, gotta beat it down. Okay. King's in the field. He's ready to slay with you. Okay. He's got his sword drawn like that, that the Mem Ted who met Yehoshua, you know, and, and, uh, and Joshua, when he was like, whose side are you on? And he was like, nobody's you know sword drawn he's like i'm here in the name of hashem and just went off and you're like okay i'm on Hashem's side and it's like are you are you because if you're if you're not with them you're against them and i got a sword right here and i know how to use it but anyway so what those are our enemies and guess what we have victory already the only the the impedance gap here the high impedance air gap the disconnect here is that we have to plug into the socket. 
that we have to charge it up. Have to have to make the declaration in our heart. You know what? Uh, things are really crazy right now. You know, I got a lot of work to do. People are wherever they are, and I don't get to hang out with people I want to. And these people are available to hang out with, and I don't really know them. Or you know, uh, I want to do more here, and I'm not doing as much as I want to do here. I'm doing less here, and I want to do more here. I'm doing way too much over here, and I need to do less here. It's like okay, tis the season. Let's let's get it on, okay? Balance everything out. Start asking your leadership about things, you know? Get some get some things going. Move some things around. Do we even know what our potential is? Are we making it happen? So, uh there's all that. Um I wanted to share a whole lot more than uh I have, but I feel like this is this is incredible enough. So, uh, just make sure I got all of my little, uh, notes here taken care of. I, I think, uh, I think, yeah, that's, that's going to be it. There's a whole thing that I wanted to talk about with the, the, uh, calf who has to get decapitated when there's a, a murder, uh, that's found where there's like a, a body in the field. And it's like, who did this? Anybody know this person came from this city? And nobody escorted him out. And so through negligence, this person's now dead. We need to have, you know, bring out the, the bait dean and measure line. What city was their closest to? That city needs to bring the, you know, the Corbin of that. And it all connected to Yeshua and why was he uh, crucified. So I don't know if I'll get to talk about that, but it, it was just a beautiful reason that you know, Mashiach was crucified and we talk about Mashiach typifying or making, being a, a picture of all the offerings in one. And one is this decapitated calf that has to get it, the, the thing happened to it, you know, because everyone out of negligence, you know, had this person die. And, you know, this is the, the mitzvah that Yaakov and Yosef were last talking about before Yosef was sent out. And then his brothers ended up throwing him into a pit and abandoning him. And then ultimately him being sold into uh, the Gentiles and handed over for death, you know, like Yeshua was and like this whole thing. And so th there's just a whole lot there because it talked about I'm just giving you cliff notes now, but because it's a lot to get into. But it talks about that this this should be what's called trafe. Uh, as far as the slaughtering process, because there's a, a kosher way to slaughter animals. But when you decapitate the calf, you've gone so far beyond kosher slaughter that it's just like this. This is not even humane. It's like well, you just gullet, you like guillotined a, a, a calf. And it's just like, yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, we did. But it's, it's perfectly a kosher slaughter. That's how we're supposed to do it. And so the teachers of the Talmud brought that down. By the way, this is called the Egla Arufa the law of the decapitated calf and so uh it was just like but even though it was like that this is a kosher slaughter it doesn't uh give off any impurity uh and all this this and this connected to why yeshua's death was kosher and he didn't give off any impurity from his body which is why when yosef and naktimon uh took his body to bury it and prepare it um, that they were still able to keep the Pesach that night and without saying that they contracted impurity of a dead body. So 
just all sorts of stuff. And one of the most major things was this whole thing about the washing of the hands and say we're innocent of this man's blood, which is exactly what Pilate did. That's why that's counted or that's why that is uh, recorded in the Basora that Pilate washed his hands because he said, I'm I am not to be held responsible for this. And this is also why we washed our hands that night at Pesach. Because again, the only reason Yeshua died was because he said, I had to. Just like Moshe, the only reason he died is because Hashem said he had to. Okay, Vezot Habaraka is like the most get you some on like the Redeemer dying because he's commanded to, not because he he was uh, he accidentally died or he got sick and died or he was too old and he died. No, he died on command. This is why, again, that Philippians 2 passage, Yeshua took on the obedience of a slave, even became a slave to death, you know, being found in the likeness and form of a man. So like that whole picture of the Redeemer dying. So literally no one caused Yeshua to die by their hand. Now, our sins caused the need for his death. The crucify him, crucify him, obviously set up all the road and the path and the people in the mob mentality and stuff. But Yeshua only died because he was supposed to. There's not enough piercing. There's not enough shooting. There's not enough chopping up and whatever. Because, by the way, you can't touch Yeshua unless you're supposed to when it comes to killing him. This is why when they wanted to stone him, he was able to walk right through the crowd. This is why when it was like Yeshua was in the garden, he was like, day after day, you saw me sitting in the temple and now you come at me with clubs and torches like I'm some kind of like robber or something. And it's just like, so he was only able to be taken, handed over when it was time. The sapphire tablets, same picture. They were only able to be broken when it was time for them to be broken. Sapphire is like from Hashemayim. Like there's no way in the world they could have broke. The only reason they broke is because they were supposed to. Because Moshe's staff was made out of the same material. How many times did he throw that thing and hit that thing up against something and it never broke? But yet one time he grabs the tablets and just they broke. I mean, they weighed the same. The tablets and the staff weighed the exact same. Okay, so Moshe was not struggling for nothing. Okay, so the same kind of picture applied here. Okay, so that's from Pirkei Rebbe Eliezer and Midrash Tankuma, uh, Legends of the Jews, all that kind of stuff. Anyway, so the whole washing their hands thing is, uh, okay, so back to why we, we washed our hands, Pilate washed his hands, okay? So the people that he was handed over to, they washed their hands because, you know, Pilate is the leader of those people, so he's considered that whole people. There's another drop in the Tankuma about Hashem seeing the many as one and the one as many. So therefore our enemies are literally likened to one man in the eyes of Hashem. So literally the Romans are typified in Pilate. So as Pilate did, so it accounted to the Romans. So that, that's kind of crazy. But anyway, uh, that came down with Tankuma team. All right. So Pilate washed his hands. We washed our hands. The word is Urchatz. Where do we see Urchatz? We see it in our Seder for the uh, the Haggadah. Where did I pull up the Haggadah? I pulled it up somewhere. Oh, okay, here we go. 
the Haggadah, we have the, the 15 Simanim, 15 steps. The Urchatz is literally the second thing that happens. It's washing the hands before we eat the carpus. And um, the Urchatz, reading this from the the uh, the Rebbe, uh, Lapid, Rabbi Griffin, Captain Yisrael, Rabbi Griffin, get you some Haggadah that he wrote a few years ago. It says... The, the leader of the Seder, many opinions say all participants, washes their hands as they would before eating, but without reciting a bracha. Because when they do the same thing with the decapitated taf, the calf, wow, decapitated taf, they, uh, they also wash their hands without a bracha. Then it says, telling 24, 3 through 5. Who may go up to the mountain of Adonai, who may stand in his holy place? One who has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul in vain, nor sworn deceitfully, he will receive a blessing from Adonai, righteousness from the God of his Yeshua. The important thing about that is during the Seder, you are literally ascending the mountain of God. During the Pesach night, that's what's happening. We're ascending. And as we were washing our hands, even though Yeshua had already given up his life for us and was put in the grave, soon to be resurrected with the Omer count beginning, you know, it's like we were able to ascend from even from that point. So that was crazy. And then it says, so this is the Festival of Freedom, still reading from the Haggadah, it says Pesach is also called Zaman Cherutenu, the Festival of Freedom. Uh, I was about to sing Zaman Cherutenu by Nassim, but I will refrain because not got time right now. Okay, the Hebrew word for Mitzrayim, or the Hebrew word for Egypt is Mitzrayim, which literally means confined, restricted, boundary. Certainly our slavery in Mitzrayim was a physical confinement, but true freedom is spiritual. But true freedom is spiritual. Hashem is spirit, right? Okay. The Torah is spiritual, as brought down in Agarit Rome by Shaul Hashliak. So put that together. The Torah is the spirit of Hashem, which is freedom, because the spirit of Hashem is freedom. Where Hashem is, there his spirit is, and where Hashem is, there is freedom. So in the Torah, you're in the spirit, you're in the freedom, you're in Hashem. Okay. To be truly free is to be free of worry, free of anxiety, free of confusion. Didn't I just say those are our enemies during the month of Elul? Probably the, throughout our lives, but especially during the month of Elul. Because the enemies don't want nobody to get the Rosh Hashanah. They don't want nobody to ascend the heel of Hashem. All right. And then it says truly, or okay, so yeah, be free, free from all that. The Chavos Halevanos. Sha'ar Habitakon states that one can only be truly free when one has a strong bitachon in Hashem, which is trust. You can only be free when you have a strong trust in Hashem. And remember, this is primarily spiritual, but it manifests in the physical that you're free of worry, you're free of fear, you're free of anxiety, you're free of confusion. And then it says, Melech Mashiach Yeshua taught us that we must have bitakon of a little child willing to trust and follow Hashem, knowing that he is watching over us. The Mishnah says, 
one who attaches himself to Hashem and his Torah, i.e. Hashem and his Mashiach, can experience true freedom. A vote 6-2. This is how we're able to recline like kings and queens on Seder night, which again, Seder means order. Night is always likened to the exile. So we can have order during the exile when we have true attachment to Hashem. Again, this is why Mashiach ben Yosef, the war Messiah, is the important person for us to follow. Because the only way we can have freedom in a place of bondage, which is this exile, which is why we got to fight our way out of it, is through Hashem and his Mashiach. And we can be like kings and queens. We can have a Seder night in exile it says it is because we have placed our trust in the king of kings important to note the targum brings down a midrash that during the night of the first seder remember they were in egypt during that point this is where the next year in jerusalem came from because they realized this would be the last time that they would have their seder in a place of bondage next time they have their seder it will be in jerusalem in the promised land so the Midrash brought down that that night Hashem transported those who had their staff in their hands, their loins girded in haste, ready to go, eating their food quickly, that he took them on the wings of eagles to the Temple Mount even that night so that they could partake of the Pesach on the Temple Mount. This is why Yeshua had a Pesach with his Talmudim near the Temple Mount that night, like pretty much on the Temple Mount because it's in the same area. So, you know, this whole thing is taking place. It's the same thing. So, you know, the the whole thing about having the Seder in the exile, the Seder night, the order and the exile is that, you know, spiritually we get that opportunity to be transported there is so much as we want to, you know, because when we're attaching ourselves to Hashem and his Torah, you know, freeing ourselves of worry, fear, anxiety, confusion, going to war over our enemies, not just against them, taking no uh, result, no, uh, what is that? No holding back. We're just going all out like a non DQ match in, in the WWE. Back in my day, it was called WF, but whatever. But, uh, like you took the you took the ring bell, you bashed your enemy over the head with it. You took a steel chair, you took a bob wire club, two by four. You took tables, ladders, chairs. You just went to town. You just grabbed whatever you could. This is why, as much teshuvas we're making, you are bringing more and more victory. And the more we do that together, the more we charge up the whole entire system. And even more so, as we're all saying, Baruch Hashem Adonai. That's even doing more. So with this Urchatz here, going to our Sidur on the shiny labor, it says the same thing. It says that Aharon and his sons are to Urchatz. They are to wash their hands and feet. We recite this as a spiritual thing. This is why we do a hand-washing ceremony at all anyway, because it's about the Urchatz. It's about the shiny labor. It's about being washed, made clean, purified. It says, before the Kohanim could begin the temple service, they had to take sanctified water how does this water get sanctified because it gets put in a sanctified vessel this is why we have a hand washing cup if you don't have a hand washing cup your words sanctify whichever vessel you are using however when you sanctify that vessel you don't get to go oh well this was my hand washing cup but now i need some soda or now i need some grape juice it's like 
okay, maybe grape juice is a whole different story because Yeshua used wash cups to turn water into wine. So the cups stayed ceremonial because wine is the only bracha you say beret priagafen because um, blesses he who brings forth the fruit from the vine because the vine is a sanctified thing. This is why it's called the Kiddush. So can't just put, you know, so I guess you could put grape juice in your hand washing cup and use it as a Kiddush cup because... Yeah, that's where the whole midrash on Yeshua turning water into wine is. It's about turning the hand washing cup into the sanctifying waters, or turning the sanctified waters of the hand washing cup into the sanctified wine that sanctifies the name of Hashem as we proclaim his day of Shabbat, which the wedding was happening and the Shabbat is likened to a wedding. So yeah, I just mixed up John 2 with all of the Kiddush and the hand washing and the Urkots. That just happened. Okay, anyway, but I'm trying to say, this is sanctified water in this hand washing vessel and you pour it over your hands and your feet. This water was drawn from the Kior, which is the labor, the basin and the temple. And it says in preparation for our verbal sacrificial service. Therefore, we wash ourselves with water from the labor as it were. That's from the Sidur on the shiny labor. So why am I bringing this up? Why am I even trying to squeeze these cliff notes in, even though I didn't really get to talk about the Egla Rufa? Because the sacrifice of Yeshua is so ridiculous on so many levels with insight that we thought, I mean, we didn't, we didn't ever think just like this is it and it can't be anything else. But yes, it's an Akida. Yes, it's the red heifer. Yes, it's a Tamid. Yes, it's a it's a egla arufa and there's the reason why we washed our hands with it like oh my gosh like this is crazy and then we went right into the seder to get out of exile like right there even though we were still in exile and then spiritual freedom and all this stuff like oh my word so anyway so i want to encourage us all as much as you can do make sure you mean everything you do don't stress yourself out to do everything to the point that you're not really in it you don't really mean it truly mean it when you're eating up literally food for your soul when you're eating the proverbs and when we get to psalms eat those like take those in deeply into who you are really apply that to your life all the moose are that the crazy rumbot who needs to get arrested. I'm going to arrest her. Don't worry. Nobody else do it. I got it. I'm going to arrest her. So, uh, cause she is just dropping all sorts of crazy insights on the moose class. So, uh, all of that, take that to heart, you know, uh, and when the Aliyah day is happening, don't just like let it play in the background and be like, oh yeah, do, do, do. Okay. Oh, I heard that. That was, that was great. Okay. Anyway, I'm back to whatever I was doing on Facebook. Like, no, no, no. Like really eat this up, really assimilate this into your being. Say Hashem, help me. You know what? I'm going to dive in. That's how we're going to end this podcast. We're going to dive in right now. So first of all, since I have my Sidur here, let me get my coordinates to myself. All right, because when I'm uh, here, it's uh, like my Reeve time, according to the, on this podcast currently. So I just want to take us into the end of the podcast with the actual uh, beginning Bracha that we say and just do some supplication for us. So... I shall do it be'ivrit. This is the first bracha, the blessings of the Shema for the Ma'ariv. It's uh, the Kriya Shema 
And this is the one about whose word brings forth the evening. So if you have your Sidur or if you want to Google it, I'm going to read the Hebrew of the English. Uma avir yom umevi laila, umavdil bain yom uvein laila, Adonai zeva ochmo, el chai vechayam, tamid yim lokalenu leolamba ed, Barukata Adonai hamari varavim. Adonai, as we have acknowledged a new day, Adonai, that has begun with the onset of the nighttime. Father, we're currently in exile. Please help us to fight victoriously. Please help our hands to be trained for war and to trust in you to truly take the Shema Adonai as our firm foundation, as armor, shield, sword, bow and arrow Adonai. Help us to bind with our community. Help us to bind with our Rebbe and our Zekanim, our Beit Din Adonai. Help us to pray for them and lift them up Adonai. Help us to truly make Teshuva be prodigal sons and people who never knew you returning home to the Father who's waiting in the field. And the Father just so happens to be the King. That's you Adonai. Father, we return to you, O King. We proclaim you as King in our life because a King is not one who rules over us, but it's one who we give rulership and dominion over to. Adonai, we lay our lives down before you. We become that dust in the field, Adonai. Father, make us over. Make us new. Father, help us to hasten the final redemption. Help us to proclaim with our words and verbal service that we are living sacrifices to you, Adonai. Not shaming people and not just sweeping things under the rug for people who are adamantly involved in wickedness and evil, but just constantly overflowing new revelation to them, showing them showing ourselves, Adonai, as vessels of light to them that all day long you're arms are wide open to them, that you're revealing yourself to them, even though they're not calling up on you, even though they don't know you. I don't know. I speak specifically for my coworker who shared his experience about, you know, what he felt when he went to the church. And I don't know. I, I open my lips and prayer for the church. I don't know that they would openly receive your Torah. I don't know. I pray for transformations of all kinds throughout the whole entire world. The whole world know your name. The whole world come to Shuv Adonai. Because you are the source of our soul, you're the source of our life, no matter how much we have concealed from our upbringing or feeling like, yeah, God couldn't love me or who is this God that the Jews are talking about and why should I serve him? Father, even with all that concealment, may you burst through Adonai unstop up all the wells that the Philistines have plugged Adonai. We as spiritual sons and daughters Adonai choose to be like Yitzhak and redig the wells that our father has dug. Adonai, please strengthen us, increase our shuva Adonai, that our shuva on our shuva Adonai, as we're making repentance on top of repentance, as we're crying out to you, as we're seeking your face, as we're listening to your voice Adonai, please do new things, please bring a new beginning.
please cause the Rosh Hashanah that we've experienced on a, on last year and years before Adonai to be exponentially beyond what we could ever imagine. Father, we even pray that this Rosh Hashanah, this Yom Kippur, that we see the resurrection of the dead. Father, we open ourselves up to whatever your plan is. Father, we don't want you to continue to wait and we don't want you to continue to delay us being in exile. We don't ever want to shorten ourselves and limit ourselves to the power of your mighty right hand, to the power of the sound of your voice, Adonai. We know that you can take people who are currently homosexual and you can use them as tools of your glory to bring people into covenant with you. We know that right now people who are observing festivals that have nothing to do with your word, Adonai, we know that you can use those same exact things to wake people up. So Adonai, we want to not only dream big and speak big and believe big and have Bitacom big, but just as Yeshua said, a child does not have to second guess their parent. If their parent says they're getting ice cream, they're getting ice cream. I don't know how they're getting ice cream because we currently don't have ice cream, but we're getting it. It's the same way right now, Adonai, is what we pray. We pray that you do mighty big, amazing miracles, change the world, redeem the world, bring forth Mashiach ben David Adonai. We accept your Yeshua that you've sent and given us as atonement, as a ransom. Rededicate our temples, Adonai, and shine forth your light brighter than ever before. Make us vessels worthy to contain this light. We all say Baruch Haba Bishem Adonai. Baruch atah Adonai, Eloheinu melech haolam, asher natan lanu Torah temet, vekaye olam natabetocheinu. Baruch atah Adonai, noten haTorah. Amen. I would also like to append to this uh, podcast, may you be inscribed and sealed for a good year, and may we all be inscribed and sealed in the book of life and the merit and in the name of Mashiach Yeshua. Amen.